Today's scripture is from Psalm 6. Might throw some of you off uh, from our Mark series. So Psalm 6. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. For the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. This is God's word. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all here today. We need a team of people afterwards to uh, uproot that tree and move it over here. That would be helpful uh, if you could stay after for that. Those of you at home, uh, glad you could join us or wherever you're watching from this morning. Uh, It's good to be here again, second time um, outside uh, Tyler Lehman has really been a huge help of helping the live stream to work better for those of you who are at home. Uh, so we give thanks to him for that. Hopefully it's working a little bit better than it was the last time we were out here. Um, thank you to the whole team who's been helping to put these things together. Um, regardless if you're here in person or not, we're thankful that you can join us and be together as a church this morning. Well, we were supposed to, as uh, Jordan was saying, we were supposed to be continuing in our sermon series in the book of Mark. Specifically, we were going to be in chapter 13, but there was a little bit of turn of events um, with that. I started preparing earlier in the week as I normally do, and when I read the first half of chapter 13, my eyes were kind of glazed over. See, all of chapter 13 is essentially Jesus foretelling the end of the current age. And so after looking at it for a while, I read the intro section of one trusted author uh, and pastor, Kent Hughes, and in his commentary on this chapter, he said this regarding Mark chapter 13. He said, it is by far the most difficult passage in the book of Mark and along with its parallels in the other gospels, one of the most difficult texts in the New Testament. And after reading that, I decided to do what any good elder would do. I decided to ask the trusted, truest elder in our midst, Scott Berkey, to take this text instead next week. And so Scott is going to be taking all of chapter 13 next week in one big chunk. And I do thank you for that, Scott. Um, In all honesty, I had bitten off a little bit more than I could chew with some other things this past week. And at our elders meeting, Scott actually suggested that it could be better to take the whole in one section. So he's going to be doing that next week. This morning, uh, we're actually going to be, as you just heard, spending our time in the Psalms, in Psalm 6 in particular. This is actually a Psalm that I've spoken on years ago. um, And I don't know about you, but as I look out over the current state of our world, 
I see all kinds of chaos. I'm hearing talks of moving to shut portions of our country down again as COVID numbers increase. I see social unrest, continued protests, and a church in this country that is trying to figure out how to navigate all of this while shepherding our people and being a witness to the world. In all of this, I start to ask a question that even David asks himself in this psalm. How long, O Lord? Psalm 6 is one of seven psalms that have been referred to as penitential psalms. Historically, this and the other six were sung to confess sin and seek forgiveness. And each of these particular psalms, as they're called penitential, is filled with a sense of dependence on God and a need for the intervention from him in their distress. However, Psalm 6 is a bit different than the others that have been linked to it in that there is no confession and there's no plea for forgiveness. And so what's left then in this psalm that expresses great need and great sorrow and great turmoil is that it finds a twist at the end of a resurgence of faith. So this morning should be simple. I'd like us to kind of focus on two parts. Number one, I want us to see and hopefully relate to the state of David's distress. Number two, I want us to see how God ultimately is our deliverer, then and now and forever. But before we get there, let me pray for our time in the Word this morning. Father, I do pray that you'd be with us. God, I pray that we would see you, Lord, as the one who is our true deliverer. I'm grateful that we have a God who is not in the grave anymore, who came to rescue us, who was resurrected, and that we have great hope in Christ. We ask that you'd be with us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Tim was up here for a minute. Uh, all right, let's walk through this psalm. He begins in verse 1. This is David's state of mind. He says, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? A few things to notice here about this section. First, David is in a really bad place. He says, I am languishing. My bones are troubled. My soul is greatly troubled. You get this picture of David in some kind of utter torturous state. He's in such a bad place that David is concerned that the Lord will rebuke him in anger or discipline him with wrath. That somehow in David's utter despair, the rebuke and the discipline of the Lord might be crushing to him. Well, we don't know exactly why David is concerned about being disciplined or rebuked. And because we don't know, we're going to look at the larger theme, which is this kind of soul anguish that exists. You see, whatever is causing David to be like this, we know one thing for sure. He feels incredibly weighed down. Whatever is going on around him feels unending and potentially crushing. We get a pretty clear idea that whatever it is that David is facing, it's far too much for him to bear. He feels as if he is failing and that God has no regard for his weakness. It's almost like he fears being kicked by God while he's already down and out. See, David seems to believe that because he's already in so much anguish, if the Lord does not act mercifully toward him, 
if he doesn't help him, that David is fearful that he's going to absolutely lose it. As we continue, David offers alternatives to the Lord. Instead of doing that, God, don't rebuke me in your anger, but instead be gracious to me. God, do not discipline me in wrath, but heal me with your mercy. But even when he asks for these alternatives, he does so with what seems like a fleeting kind of hope. Listen to what he says in verse 3. My soul is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? In other words, how long will I have to wait to be delivered? How long will I be in anguish before God shows mercy? For David, there's no end in sight, at least here. And this language isn't unique to the Psalms. Psalm 131 verse 1 read, or Psalm 13 verse 1 reads this, How long will you hide your face from me? You might also remember Psalm 7410, which reads, How long, O God, is the foe to scoff? See, the psalmist is used to such intimacy with the Lord that when he feels the distance from God, it is excruciating to him. So he continues in verse four, turn, O Lord, and deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death, there is no remembrance of you and Sheol, who will give you praise? There are a couple things to point out in these two verses. First, the psalmist here is keenly aware that there is only one person who can deliver him in this life. And that is God himself. Even in his greatest despair, or maybe because he's in his greatest despair, he knows that God is the one who can relieve him from the horrid state that he's in. But why would God do this? Why would God intervene and bring healing to him? Well, according to David, it is because of God's steadfast love. Or in other words, God's unfailing and forever love for his people. And so David pleads, God, act according to your character of love toward me and deliver me from this anguish. See, David knows that God is a covenant-keeping God. In the book of Exodus, chapter 34, verse 6, we're reminded of God's character. It reads this, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, for thousands. See, this is significant, okay? Because many times when we are at our worst in times of angst, in sadness, of despair, in pain, we pray, God, deliver me, right? Heal me, take this away, grant my heart's desire. Now, why do we do that? What's the reason that we give him? Well, many times, if we're honest, if I'm honest, the reason is because I just don't like this. I don't want to feel this way. I don't want to continue to deal with the chaos and the uncertainty. And there are parts of us, if we're really honest, that feel like, at least I do sometimes, that I just deserve something different. Why am I the one who has to go through hardship? Why in this time does the church struggle to even meet together? Personally, why can't I get the job that I want? Why can't someone else have this illness? Why can't someone else experience the grief and the loss and the sadness? Why do I have to continue to be patient? God, let someone else be patient. I'm sure David didn't want to be in his current position either. 
or he wouldn't be praying like he is right here. But when David calls out to the Lord for deliverance, he does so by saying, Lord, my Lord, act according to your character. You are my God. Display your mercy to me. Look at verse four. It reads this. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. Ultimately, David knows that God is a God of steadfast and never failing love. And so he appeals to it. So he continues in Psalm 6 by declaring his desire to praise God. I love how David does this. He uses a logical appeal to God. He says, if I die, how will I give you praise? See, David wants to praise God. He wants to be near to him, but yet he finds himself prevented from doing so. In verse 5, in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, or the place of the dead, who will give you praise? David longs to see deliverance because he longs to thank God for displaying mercy to him, for saving him. Then he continues in verse 6, I am weary with moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. Another translation says, I am worn out from my groaning. Have you ever been worn out from groaning? Have you ever found yourself growing apathetic because you're just tired of being patient? You're fatigued waiting for something better? David definitely has. Actually, he has, according to this, every night. Notice the extreme statement. Every night I flood my bed with tears. Now, you could picture how that happens. It happens if you can't sleep. He's up all night. In Psalm 42, David writes, My tears have been my food day and night. And so David is a man acquainted with anguish. Not only when sleeping, but when awake. He says, I drench my couch with weeping. This is not a good state. But continuing in verse 7, he says more. He says, my eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. His eyes are growing old. Maybe because they're so washed with tears. Maybe because he can't tolerate any more turmoil. To top it off, his foes are against him. Probably referencing those around him who, who wonder the same thing that, God, that, that David does. They want to know, where is God now? How long? So those are the first seven verses. There is nothing encouraging in those verses. There is utter turmoil. There's distance from God. There's fear. There's sadness. There's groaning. There's tears. At this point, let's pause. You know, this psalm is a prayer. It's not just a collection of thoughts or some musings of a depressed, anxious, distressed man. This is a pretty formulaic prayer for times of deep anguish. And here's what we see David do in this prayer. Number one, he calls on the name of the Lord. And so when you, when we are in deep anguish and feel pressed down, right? When you feel like there is no way to get out from under the weight of disappointment, sadness, do you call on God? If not, where else do you go? Where else do you go to find relief from disappointment and sadness and anguish? 
Some people work longer hours. Some people try to earn more money, watch more Netflix, read more self-help books. But David, in his distress, calls on the Lord because he knows that only God can deliver him. That's the first thing. The second thing we see is he is honest about his condition. When you pray in times of hardship, do you pour out your heart to God? Do you relate to him as someone who actually cares to hear you? See, oftentimes in my prayer life, I can feel this need to be put together, right? Not just with other people, but even in private, to be eloquent in what I speak and what I pray, and even to sometimes pretend like I'm fine. I see people in my office a lot dealing with pain and suffering, and sometimes they'll share something about life that's just horrible. And the best that I have to say is, I'm sorry. And a lot of times people will respond with, ah, it's not a big deal. We'll be fine. But honestly, that's just avoidance, right? In attempting to tell yourself it's not okay to feel however it is that you're feeling, right? You're avoidant. But David doesn't do this. And that way, he's a good example for us. He pours out the depths of his heart to God because he longs to worship him again. He pours out what is going on internally clinging to the steadfast love of the Lord because he longs to worship him with joy again. The third thing he does in this prayer, after calling out to God, after being honest and pouring out his heart, is he appeals to God's character. See, God always acts according to his character. And the only way that we can possibly do this, right, is if we know from God's word what his character is. Do we know the promises that God has made to us? Do we know of his loving kindness and mercy? Do we know of his steadfast love? We will know him like this. We will make pleas according to his character if we find him in his word and cling to him. Looking back at Psalm 6, up until this point, all we have is grief. We've got moaning, we've got hardship, we've got despondency and disappointment. However, In the next three verses, something completely unexpected happens. There's a radical shift in tone and in disposition and really in faith. So David continues in verse 8. says, Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. So what happened? All of a sudden, David has this rush of energy, seemingly. He rebukes his enemies and he proclaims that God has heard his weeping and his prayers. He proclaims that just as God has delivered him from his troubles, his enemies will now be greatly troubled. Now those who seek him harm will be put to shame. One commentator wrote this, God in Psalm 6 is both the problem and the solution. David knew that it was God who was not drawing near to him, which is what kept him in such utter turmoil. But David also knew that if God would act, that if he would draw near to him, that David would have reason to hope and would again praise the Lord. So I don't know what happened, right? No one really knows what caused his heart to shift. Maybe someone delivered him a word of God of salvation, like a good sermon that lifted his heart to worship and trust 
Maybe he prayed and waited long enough and finally faith overtook grief and despair. But whatever the case, we see very clearly that David believes that God has heard his prayer. There's a past tense here. God has heard. And then a future tense. God will act by putting his enemies to shame. In other words, God heard my prayer and God will deliver me from my distress. Radical heart change. We have no reason to assume that the circumstances of David's life have changed at this point. We just know that his faith and joy in the Lord changed. There's a big takeaway for us here. If in our distress, in our disappointments, we place our hope in circumstances changing, God, if you would just change this or give me this or move this or overcome this hurdle, heal our nation physically, emotionally, then I will praise you. If we relate to God like that, then joy is reserved only for the future and never in the midst of trials. But that's not true. Joy is not reserved for times only of plenty. Joy can be found in the midst of distress, in the midst of trials. But where? Where does this kind of joy come from? Well, I want to take one more pass through this psalm to close our time this morning. But I want to do so with a gospel lens. A lens that understands this prayer based on the good news of the person and work of Jesus. The book of John, chapter 12, and verse 7, reads this, and this is Jesus speaking. It reads, Now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. See, Psalm 6 is a prayer, and because Jesus knew the word of God inside and out, it is a prayer that he would have known intimately. Imagine Jesus in his time with his father in prayer from Psalm 6. Imagine him saying, be gracious to me for I am languishing. Heal, heal me for my bones are troubled. My soul is greatly troubled. So I believe that if we're honest, one of our greatest fears in times of distress and hardship is that we're going to be abandoned by God, that it's not going to end, that he will turn a deaf ear toward us and give us no response. But here's the thing. There was only one person in all of creation who deserved to pray this prayer in Psalm 6 and actually have God deliver him from his downcast and troubled soul. Only one person fully deserved to have things be put right, and that person was Jesus. And you know what? The answer that God gave him was no. See, Jesus on the cross, immediately followed by his death, proclaims this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And moments later, he breathed his last breath, and the father turned his face away. See, David was weary with moaning here. His foes accosted him, but Jesus sweat tears of blood, and his enemies completely betrayed him to death. David was delivered, but Jesus was forsaken. And so as we consider the change in tone between verses 7 and 8 in this psalm, from despair to faith in God, I don't know what happened for David, but I do know what God offers us today. He offers us Jesus. And what do we have in Jesus? What do we know of him? First thing, we have someone who knows hardship. 
He knows trials. He's not caught off guard by anything. He knows chaos. He knows what it's like to be pressed down from all directions in the most intimate of ways. And he does not grow anxious and he does not grow troubled. When you feel like you're dealing with hardships in life, whether it's suffering in life, trials, when you find yourself looking to God, asking the question, how long, O God, know this. Jesus is intimately acquainted with how you feel because he suffered like none other ever has. Hebrews 4.15 reads this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet without sin. The second thing that we have in Jesus is this, death was not the end of the story. Jesus gave his own life. He was crushed by the wrath of God. God the Father did to God the Son what David feared the most. Jesus was rebuked by God's anger. Jesus was disciplined by the wrath of God. And ultimately, he was crushed. But as the scriptures remind us, three days later, he rose victoriously to life. See, our God, the Lord Jesus, is alive and well. The third thing we have in Jesus is that in Christ, we can be confident of God's favor toward us. Hebrews 4, verses 15 to 16 said this, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Friends, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have confessed your sin and trusted Christ to bear it for you on the cross, if you confess that the Father turned his face away from the Son so that he could rescue you, then you can know that he will never turn his face away from you. For if he gave you Jesus the greatest gift, then you can trust that he is for you, even in the midst of great chaos and suffering and disappointment. So how do you know that God loves you in the midst of turmoil and hardship? You know because Jesus gave his life for you. This is the change between verse 7 and 8. This is the change between fear and faith in our stories today. Jesus is the reason that we can say God has heard our prayer. Jesus is the means through which we can declare with David that God is our deliverer. Now, I know that there are some people here or at home who are in very similar situations to David or possibly on the verge of this state. That pain that can be felt when you're right in the middle of something horrible can be agonizing. It can feel isolating, just as David expresses here. And if that's you, or when one day that is you, please know that your grief and your sadness and disappointment is welcomed here, specifically here at Christ Community. But sometimes it's just more general, and that's what I've been feeling recently. If you're like me right now, I'm just fatigued. I'm tired of living in a world that is constantly full of hardship and disappointment, even seemingly simple things, and Jordan mentioned this earlier, like my kids can't go back to school in the fall, or the fact that Little League just got canceled, or probably will. I haven't gotten the note on that yet. I'm growing weary in this season because of constant change and uncertain futures. And spiritually, it's a battle for me not to grow apathetic. It's a battle to not just want to quit and move to the margins. It's a battle to fight for the kind of joy that I see with David here as he pursues the Lord. But we know our deliverer. We can have confidence that there is always joy to be had in the morning. 
Maybe not tomorrow morning or the morning after, but we can trust because of Christ. Because Christ has come, because he has died, because he was resurrected, that there is hope for deliverance in this momentary affliction. The psalm is an encouragement to us this morning to pour out our hearts to God, to rush toward him in dependence and to call on his steadfast love and kindness to sustain us and to draw our hearts to worship him with joy, even in the midst of whatever current situation we face. This is the hope that we have in a resurrected Savior. Let me pray for us. Father, I'm grateful. These are words to my own soul, recognizing that there is no trouble that we will run into on this earth that will ultimately crush our souls if we are found in Christ. So Heavenly Father, I do pray for us as a church gathered this morning, whether virtually or here in this field, Lord, that you would remind us that you never grow tired of building your church and drawing the nations to yourself. You never grow tired of meeting the needs of your people and demonstrating your steadfast love to them. God, would we cling to you? Would we rely on you? Would we be a people who grows daily in trust in the Lord? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.